Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What is up, Waffle Gang? I do hope you are well. My name is Mark, and today we're checking out some r slash pro revenge because i thought why not we haven't been there in a while let's get involved sure <laughs> if you are new here please consider hitting that like that subscribe and maybe that notification bell too and let's just get straight involved with today's stories much love guys the best revenge is a happy life and having your cheating ex pay you child support grab a cup of coffee or tea this is a long story i apologize but i hope it's worth your time to read my revenge began while discovering my wife's infidelity. Let's call her Kerry. After 14 years of marriage and three kids, I saw a text appear on her work phone for just a few seconds that would forever change my life. It was a message that was sexually graphic and had no business being on anyone's work phone. It was on the lock screen and the sender's name was visible. Let's call him Perry. Background, I married Kerry when I was 25 and she was 22. I was teaching high school at the time and she was a registered nurse. After having our first child, Kerry became a stay-at-home mum. Money was tight, so I took on an admin role in my department and coached two sports for the step ends. We made it, and after a few annual pay rises, I stopped in coaching and took advantage of a program to earn an administrative credential. Once I made the jump to administration, our last child was ready for preschool, and Kerry decided she wanted to go back to work. Nursing jobs are always available, but they're not always the best positions. Kerry pretty much had to start back at the bottom, working alongside nurses that were a lot younger than she was and could work back-to-back -back double shifts that took a toll on Kerry. When she asked her supervisor about other positions, she was told that without a BSN, she wasn't going to move up. At the time, Kerry only had a two-year ADN. I told her that between preschool, after-school rec and my retired mother, who was always willing to pick up the kids from school and watch them, I'd support her getting her BSN. It took her three years, but eventually she had her BSN and was promoted to a better position at the hospital. Things were good for a while. We had plenty of money, so finally moved in our own muck mansion, bought new cars, etc. I'd moved from school admin to the district admin, so I had more time to spend with Kerry and the kids. She was working a more predictable schedule, and even with my often long hours at work, this changed allowing us to finally take vacations to all places we put on our list during our honeymoon. She kept that list in our wedding album. At some point years later, I noticed she's carrying two phones with her. When I asked her about it, she said it was a phone provided by the hospital. I didn't question her explanation because my district had also given me the option of a phone stipend, which I took instead. Again, months went by and I thought we were a happy, perfect family. I charged my phone in our den while she charged her phones in our guest bedroom that doubled as a computer room so we keep tabs on the kids while they surf the web. I was updating software on the computer when I saw a light around her work phone. She had a habit of always turning her phones face down when charging them. Out of curiosity, I reached over to the phone and flipped it over. A message had popped up on the lock screen, asked her when she'd like to be already pleased again, but in a much more graphic language. I also saw that Perry sent it. The world stopped around me. 
I just froze. My first thoughts were, what the hell was that about? It's a work phone. That kind of message gets people fired. Then it hit me. Was Kerry having an affair? It's amazing how the brain works. I suddenly started remembering a lot of things Kerry had done that seemed odd, but I'd either dismissed them myself or immediately accepted her explanation. She was always walking out of the room to answer a call or return a text and claimed that it would violate HIPAA if I overheard her talking about a patient. I accepted this because education has similar privacy laws regarding students. She would sometimes come home with a faint smell of cologne on her clothes and claimed it was from helping to move male patients. Again, I accepted this at face value, but it always struck me as odd. It seemed to be the same scent of cologne. Once the proverbial barn door was open, I started seeing a lot of things that I'd missed before. Our love life in the bedroom had cooled off considerably, which wasn't helped by her having to leave the house at odd hours to fill in for other nurses that called in sick. I also recalled when I'd seen the name Perry before, and a call to the hospital confirmed he was a doctor there. For the next week or so, I was walking around in a daze trying to pull out all the pieces together. One of our kids had left a book in Kerry's car, so it was an excuse to visit the hospital. Kerry had told me personal visits were frowned upon. My kids went up to get Kerry's car key. I'd forgotten my key to her car at home. I talked to a nurse in the lobby and joked about how work phones seemed like a blessing, but all they do is put you on call 24 hours a day. This led to her eventually telling me that the hospital was too cheap to give cell phones to nurses, so only high-level executives got them, which didn't include Kerry. With pretty much everything confirmed, I took some personal time off the next day to talk to a divorce lawyer. The news she gave me was horrible. We live in a community property state with no-fault divorce. I made more money than Kerry. She'd been the primary caretaker of the kids and we'd been married for more than 10 years. Basically, if I filed for divorce, I'd be screwed, lose the house, pay alimony, she'd get a huge chunk of my retirement and I'd pay child support for the next decade unless I was lucky enough to be awarded joint custody. The worst thing she told me was that it didn't matter that she cheated. It didn't matter. I was crushed. There was only one person I could trust with this kind of information. She was a fellow teacher that had also made the jump to administration, but was stuck at a school site. Let's call her Anne. Anne had been married at 19, but her marriage was annulled when he got some other woman pregnant. Since then, she'd focused on her career, and we found we were kind of kindred spirits in a lot of ways regarding K-12 education. I talked to Anne. She said something to me that changed my whole mindset. If you don't like the hand you're dealt, change the deck. I realized I had two problems. I made more money than Kerry and she had more time than me to be the primary caretaker of the kids. The second issue was actually kind of easy. At every district office, there are jobs that are fast tracked to higher positions and there are jobs that administrators suffer through, like mess or KP duty in the military. One of these dead end regulatory positions was open again. Ambitious administrators leave after a couple of years when a better position opens up. I sat down with our district superintendent and asked about being transferred to that position. At first he was shocked, but I told him it was my time to take one for the team and it would fill a hole in my admin experience. He agreed. It was really just crunching numbers with no personnel or student interaction so I could set my schedule, even take a laptop home and work there. With my new free time, I began taking the kids to school, picking them up from school, not leaving them in after school wreck or having my mother watch them and taking them home. I'd help them with their homework, make dinner, etc. while their end goal was to become their primary caretaker. I can't explain how much I really, really enjoy taking the more active role in their day-to-day -day lives. My salary hadn't been reduced, so I needed to find a way for Kerry to make a lot more money than she was in current nursing position. 
I remember Kerry being mad after she earned her BSN and a supervisor told her, in the future, bachelor degrees will be worthless and everyone will need at least a master's degree. Kerry had worked hard to get her BSN and that supervisor's comment pissed all over her hard work. I talked to her starting an MSN program. I told her that since I had a much more flexible work schedule, I would keep taking care of the kids. She was reluctant at first. Then I said, you could have every evening free to study or go to class, whatever you want to do. I saw her eyes immediately light up, probably thinking that she could spend more time with Perry. To make sure she was actually completing her MSN courses, I paid her tuition and fees directly to her university. It was gonna take her between two and three years to finish. Those years were rough at times. I could tell every time she was rushing off or coming back from seeing Perry. There was an excitement or sense of satisfaction in her eyes that just wasn't there when she was doing her coursework. I had to either smile or pretend I didn't notice. My temper got short at times and I found myself in arguments over petty nonsense. A couple of times I almost blew the whole charade, having to bite my tongue and apologize rather than scream insults at her that she deserved. Anne remained my confidant throughout this. I'd recommend her for my previous fast track position and she joined me at the district office. Anne was qualified, hardworking, ambitious and only needed a foot in the door to impress the higher ups. I even got a few pats on the back for recommending her after she impressed everyone. Anne and I started with our own affair. It wasn't some hot-blooded passionate romance, but two friends giving each other what they need. Without Anne, I wouldn't have been able to maintain the charade of being the oblivious cuckold. I never know if I pronounced that right. But when Kerry would come home smiling after spending time with Perry, I was able to bear it, smiling back because I had my own lover. After three and a half years, Kerry completed her MSN and was promoted at a hospital. Her salary went up substantially and was now higher than mine. When the kids and I made her a congratulations dinner, I made a joke about her being the breadwinner for the family and she laughed, joking back, I should be a stay-at-home dad now. A month later, I went back to the lawyer, who didn't remember me at first, and told her the financial situation had drastically changed. With these new facts, she drafted the petition and filed it. When the kids were with my mother, I had Kerry served. The deputy knocked on our front door and let him in, pointing at my wife. He asked her name and then handed her a copy of the divorce petition. With a deputy standing there, I told Kerry I knew all about her affair with Perry, but I didn't tell her how long I'd known. I told her to go be happy with her doctor lover. She screamed at me, tried to lie, and then made the mistake of rushing towards me. The deputy stopped her and warned her that women go to jail for domestic violence too now. He suggested she pack a bag to stay somewhere else. Kerry left after I promised not to tell the kids about her affair. I didn't tell the kids, but I told my mother, who told my sister, who told her kids, who told their cousins, my kids. It took a few days, but eventually the kids knew that dad was divorcing mum because she had a boyfriend. In the end, the court granted divorce, giving me primary custody of our kids because I was already the primary caretaker. I kept the house with a promise I'd refinance to buy out Kerry's half. She was ordered to pay child support and I used that fact to negotiate with her to give up any rights to my retirement if I bought her out. I was able to refinance my home. It was the era when banks threw money at everyone to buy or refinance a mortgage. And with a little money borrowed from my parents, I bought out Kerry's community property interest in the home and in my retirement. The day she signed all the paperwork with my lawyer finally ending any possible financial obligations to her was the happiest I'd been. I felt like I could finally breathe. I celebrated with Anne who'd been my rock through all of it. I'm not ashamed to say through the years I'd cried many times in her arms. Anne and I would eventually marry. 
She got promoted to a higher position and I was convinced to take my previous position at the district when my youngest child reached high school. Kerry and I got along well after the divorce. We took the kids to family therapy and worked out this co-parenting thing. For the first few months, she took a beating from the kids about why she needed a boyfriend when daddy was there all along. Between the kids and the therapist raking her over the coals, I didn't have to say anything at all. Kerry missed a lot of time with the kids because of her now legitimately busy work schedule and I felt bad my kids were missing time with their mother, so I encouraged them to talk to her on the phone instead. When Kerry found out I'd proposed to Anne, she congratulated me. I told her it's okay for her to marry Perry too. She got sad. She told me that Perry had started seeing another woman, a younger nurse at the hospital, because with her new position, she didn't have time for him. And when they did get together, she wasn't fun anymore. My ex-wife, the woman who cheated on me and destroyed our marriage, was looking to me for sympathy. I had none to give. What I had was years of anger and frustration, years of knowing some man was sleeping with my wife. I'd lost weight from not being able to eat, I'd suffer hypertension and had to confide in my doctor why it wasn't the stress of my job. I had to listen to my dentist complain about how I was grinding and listen to him telling me I need dental implants if it kept up. There were times when I had to be intimate with Kerry to keep up the charade. Fortunately, infrequently. Only to lie that I wanted to use condoms to remind us how we used to have sex when we were dating or because I might have a bladder infection. Then go take a STD test anyway and wait for the results before seeing Anne again. But in the end, it was all worth it. Sure, Kerry got a big payout when I bought her out of the house and my retirement, which she was trickling back to me through child support, but she lost everything else. Her kids only saw her every other weekend and spent a couple of holidays with her. Perry dumped her and he was no great catch anyway, since he was twice divorced with five kids, paying alimony and child support through the nose. I kept my kids, my house, my income, my retirement. I got Anne and I am genuinely happy. All in a community property state with no fault divorce. If that's not pro revenge, then I don't know what is. Holy moly, gee whiz, and everything that goes with it. This guy has got some patience, man, to encourage her to get a master's degree, to get the increased wage so you could be the primary caretaker of your kids and then having to deal with all, all the little bits in the meantime, like keeping up a charade of a happy marriage in the meantime must have been torture. So for the pro-revenge, can we just give it a little chef's kiss? Mwah. Well done to you. <laughs> and I'm sad that a family has gone through this, but you know, this is what the subreddit is all about. And it was an absolute roller coaster. But what do you guys think of this one? Let me know in the comments below. You demand we work overtime for free. Enjoy trying to open the store with no employees. First off, on mobile, non-English speaker. Second, unfortunately, this story came back to mind due to the recent death of the hero in the story. Grumpy, you will be missed. I've met Grumpy in Narcotics Anonymous. He volunteered there after they helped him and became my sponsor. Seeing that I was trying to get my shit together, he offered me my first job out of high school. Grumpy was the manager of a store for a company that sold everything you need to build a house, from cement and bricks to custom-made cupboards. I started as a loader, filling the trucks that were making deliveries. A little background for the company. It plays an important part for later. When they started back in the early 80s, they sold everything you need to build a brick and mortar home, wholesale to professionals. During their first expansion, they got really good reputation for their prices of power tools, custom cupboards and landscaping, including custom-made garden furnitures. 
The stores were basically big warehouses. In the mid-90s, they opened their doors to the general public, which accompanied by a rising tent of DIY, skyrocketed their sales. That brought a second, smaller wave of expansion and the opening of the online store. First only with phone orders and later with a proper site. When I joined, they were doing a third shift on their business plan. They had cut down on things that weren't a big seller, like bricks and concrete, and were focusing more on the big sellers, custom-made furniture, landscaping, tools, and for some weird reason, plumbing. My first eight months on the job was a dream. Grumpy was an excellent manager. Having started in the company roughly the same age I was and being promoted through the ranks, had developed a very distinct managerial style. His concept was simple. If my employees are happy, they work better and provide better services, which lead to better sales. That meant that while Grumpy managed one of the inner city stores, meaning medium to small size compared to the others, we were fourth in revenue nationwide and first in customer happiness. And then the reason for his nickname. Why everyone called him Grumpy, a nickname he was kind of proud of, he was far from it. The reason was he had a medical condition that affected his nerves and that had left him with a permanent frown on his face. He had declined promotion due to that condition, knowing the extra stress would make his condition flare up, meaning he wouldn't be as effective as he would like. His medical condition flared up unexpectedly and Grumpy had to be hospitalized and be on sick leave for a time. HQ decided to not have one of Grumpy's assistants be an active manager for the duration, but bring in a regional manager to take over the store for the duration. Let's call him Wilhelm. I'm not sure if I pronounced that right. Wilhelm was the exact opposite of Grumpy. He was younger than Grumpy. He was in his late 20s. Grumpy was in his late 30s. Had a business degree and hadn't worked the floor at all. He was hired from the beginning as an office drone and climbed his way to regional manager. The reason he was put in charge of our store had to do with the change of the business plan of the company. You see, the change of focus had created a lot of empty space in the stores. A supermarket chain had approached the company with an offer to rent the empty space, especially for inner city stores. The company had accepted and placed regional managers in key stores to help with integration. The thing is, the supermarket chain had a reputation of being bad employers. That was reinforced by one of our tellers who had worked for them for three years before quitting to join us. Wilhelm didn't help also. His managerial style was based in only one concept, make more money in any way possible. He started by changing our schedule from monthly to weekly, raising the sales targets to unrealistic heights and always demanded more. In the first two weeks, six experienced people had left, four quit and two fired, and replaced by young, inexperienced people that were easier to manipulate. And then the integration happened. The floor was the first to feel the problem. The supermarket opened its doors and was understaffed. Wilhelm started sending people over to help for four to six hours, while also demanding to work their regular shifts. If someone declined, he, she was written up. Two write-ups in six months and you were fired. Then Wilhelm came to lay the law in the loading bay. The loading bay was shared between the two stores. Wilhelm declared that we had first helped the two guys of the supermarket unload their trucks first because their products were perishable and then started loading our own trucks. That would throw our delivery schedule to the wind. The loading crew worked five in the morning till one. We loaded first the trucks that had longer to travel so they would be ready to leave at seven. At the latest, the company had a next day delivery policy for 150 mile radius. What Wilhelm declared meant we couldn't start loading our trucks before 7.30 and they couldn't start their route before 9.30. We said as much, but Wilhelm didn't care. He said we had to do both jobs. 
When someone inquired about overtime, Wilhelm said no. He said we already made too much money with unsocial hours, five to eight, and leaving early so he wouldn't approve overtime. So, from a nice environment that you wanted to work for, we all started getting miserable. We lost 10 people in the loading crew in a month because of the new rules. The new hires didn't last long. The floor was a mess also. Started turning personnel faster than a dollar hooker. Anyone who is staying is either looking for another job, is afraid of unemployment, or is too young to know better. The sales had a very small decline, but customer happiness is plummeting fast. After almost six months, all the old guard that was left was ready to quit, but our savior came back. Almost six months from the day he was hospitalized, Grumpy walks into the store to claim his rightful position. He isn't a knight in shining armor, riding a pure white horse, carrying a legendary sword. He is in a normal attire, slightly limping and holding a cane. We have a welcome back party and have a small glimmer of hope that now he is back. We are informed that Grumpy will be on light duties for two weeks before he becomes the manager again. Despite Grumpy being back, Wilhelm still remains the regional manager, which means he outranks Grumpy and makes it very clear in private meetings with all of us. If he caught us complaining to Grumpy, we were as good as gone. Still, a few of us are planning to have a meeting with Grumpy after the weeks, letting him get his sea legs back. But another department had other ideas. During his reign of terror, the only department that Wilhelm couldn't control was the workshop. He knew that if he treated them as bad as he did to us, they would quit and the sales would go from a small decline to bottom of the barrel real quick. As I said, custom-made furniture was the number one seller. So the head carpenter had a meeting with Grumpy on his second day talking about the future of the workshop. In reality, the guy spilled the beans on Wilhelm. With the pretext of catching up with the changes, Grumpy has meetings with everyone, learning what Wilhelm has done and why he had so many new staff. You could feel he was getting angrier with every meeting. He had also had an eye-opening meeting with a manager of the supermarket. Finally, the time had come that he is the manager again. The Revenge On his first day back as manager, Grumpy notifies everyone of a mandatory meeting after the store is closed. He has a solution. So gather in the store after closing hours and Grumpy lays out the plan. For the next couple of days, nobody except him is coming to the store. If anyone calls us, we should direct them to him, which we did when we started getting calls about the store being closed. Grumpy's answer to the HQ was simple. The staff was working on a second job during their shifts, which is a breach of contract. So I had to fire them all and find new staff. That caught HQ's attention because nothing of the sort was reported in the past six months. They asked Grumpy for evidence, which he happily provided with our written testimonies, which brought a shitstorm on Wilhelm. You see, Wilhelm had an arrangement with a supermarket manager. He got a kickback from our unpaid labor for the supermarket and the manager offered the same thing to Grumpy. He also included that Wilhelm regularly declined to sign overtime, which meant that if any one of us went to the labor department, the company would get a really huge fine. The aftermath. Wilhelm quickly got fired. We all received calls to interview with the company for an open position. We all received severance pay for our firing, plus most of the unpaid overtime, about 80% of it. Almost all of us went back to work with a small pay raise based on experience. The company took a long, hard look on the supermarket chain and distanced themselves from them. They stayed until their lease was over, but no shared employees anymore and a lot of theirs jumped ship to our side. Next time Grumpy had to take time off, one of his assistants took over. 
Two did a stellar job, leading to being promoted to managers in other stores. Grumpy brought back his usual managerial style, leading again to a rise of sales and customer happiness. I left the job three years later for a better paying position, but I still remember Grumpy as one of the best managers I ever had. Now, what do you guys think of this one? Have you ever had anything similar in your workplace before or any workplace revenge story? Let us know in the comments below. Once again, guys, thank you for being here today. I hope you did enjoy these two pro revenge stories. They were both a couple of beastie ones, weren't they? <laughs> Let me know your thoughts in the comments below. And just a huge thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here. It really does mean the world. And I will see you in the next one. Take care, guys. Much love. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.